Hi, I'm Colette Gallagher. And I'm Vince Bolito, and we're the founders of the Inner Coaching Academy. Welcome to the Inner Coaching Podcast, where we show you how to create powerful transformation and lasting change in the areas of relationship, addiction, trauma, health, and business. Inner Coaching optimizes performance by addressing and clearing the underlying mental, emotional, and physiological causes of suffering, which then results in the wonderful experience of true self-realization. This is episode one of the Inner Coaching Podcast. Today, we'll be introducing ourselves, our story, how we got into coaching, why inner coaching is so important to us, and how inner coaching can help anyone in almost any situation. I would definitely pay attention here. There's a lot that we're going to share that can definitely help you or people that you know. We're going to share a lot about our own experiences, some of the challenges that we've been through, how we've overcome it, what inner coaching is and how it's helped us and how we continue to help others. So uh, there's going to be a lot of great information and opportunity for you to even apply this in your own lives. So so stick with us and we appreciate you being here. So Colette, why don't we start uh, with you and let's just get into, um, you know, what was it like growing up? What were some of the challenges you faced and uh, that led to you getting involved with, you know, coaching at all and serving people and why this became important to you? Yeah, of course. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for episode one. Yay. Um, Yay. Yeah. So my mom was an addiction. She was married four times. Three of them were abusive alcoholics. um, And so I grew up in a very like turbulent environment. My mom is emotionally abusive, but that's how she was raised. And so um, my first stepfather, when I was four years old, he held a gun to my head, um, sexual abuse. So that's like the first husband. And so from there, I just got really, really curious about personal development, just like even as a little kid, like wondering why do people choose these things? Like, why do people choose the situations that they do, why do they choose the relationships that they do? And I just couldn't understand like why people just couldn't be happy, right? Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like this happy little kid and I'm seeing all of this stuff around me and just people miserable choosing jobs they hate and just wondering like, why? And um, so that just, when I got older my grandpa gave me some personal develop- development books and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's books that like teach you how to be you know, fulfilled and happy and alive. And so I just dove into that, got my degree in psychology. And that was really just like my main thing is like, how do I end this abuse cycle? Because I saw that a lot of these abuse patterns were passed down from generations and to their kids, and then they passed it down. And so like, I really wanted to know how to end this cycle um, for myself and, and people around me. And just to understand like the thinking and how it happens and things like that. So, um, and then my own experience as well. Um, I was a caregiver for my grandparents, saw them decline and went through a lot of just self-doubt and sadness and things like that. Just got to the point of being suicidal. Mm. And so when I got to that place, I remembered, hey, there's a way out of this. And I'm going to figure out how. And so that started my own journey of personal development. And then, Mm. um, yeah, I overcame my anxiety naturally with no medication. Um, I was able to really put into habits in place and things in place um, when I started to go to those dark places to get myself out of them and back into um, alignment. And so that's what I love sharing with people is how to giving people tools, tools that I personally used to release all of these things and move forward so Mm. wow that's really rich thank you um i mean gosh so early on uh there was uh so much pain so much hurt and uh you know that term adverse childhood experience uh you know i know you only shared a couple a couple of points there uh that were you know painful and scary frightening and uh but there were many along the way and you just kind of gave us a quick you know overviewers and gave us like one of the dramatic events that happened and uh, that left you with something I'm curious if you you know we haven't discussed this before but you know at that first incident that you mentioned here with the the gun being pulled out on you and you know you're very young um, do you recall like what you started to believe about yourself about others about the world particularly like what were the beliefs that you started to form um, or that were formed and how it shaped your outlook at life Yeah. So a few of them was like this hyper responsibility for my mother. 
So I took on this role because uh, my stepfather said, if I told anyone, he would kill my mom. So from this very early age, one of the beliefs that I took on was it's my responsibility to take care of my mother. And that was reinforced by my grandfather, who was like, be nice to your mom. She's really stressed out. Like you need to take care of her and help her. And so from like a very, very early age, like I, like my mom was my responsibility instead of the other way around. Um, and so that's one of the, like, it's my, like, I need to save the world or help the world or like, I'm responsible. Like I was blamed for a lot of things. My mom basically blamed me for everything. Like, even if she missed a red light, that was my fault somehow. Hmm. So just like this hyper responsibility for like everything around me. Um, so that was one of like the main beliefs that I took on because of that. Um, and then the world's not safe, of course. Hmm. Um, so that's adverse childhood experiences. That's one of the common things is just not feeling safe in the world. Did you at have all. this this belief that it's my fault also? Like yeah, everything's like, my con- fault. Everything's your fault. Like yeah. So so um, the world's not safe. It's my fault, or everything's my fault. Um, what else might have been there about? What about a, um, your belief about people? Yeah. So it's really funny because as a little kid, I was an only child for seven years. My sister wasn't born until I was seven. And so when, as a little girl, like I loved everybody, like I talked to everyone, like everyone's my friend. Um, my grandpa, like my grandparents stopped at a gas station and I was talking to some trucker and they freaked out because they're like, you can't just talk to strangers at gas stations. <laughs> like, mm. It's not okay. Um, but then somehow, because um, I was taken away by child protective services because it was my responsibility to take care of my mother. Um, like I decided I couldn't share, like I couldn't talk about things that were happening to me. I couldn't share my feelings. Feelings weren't okay. Mm. Um, and so like, I just closed down and I didn't have any real friends like in, in elementary school, like after second grade, I had like one friend maybe throughout um, elementary school. And then I had like two or three friends, close friends, people I trusted. Um, because I just didn't feel like it was safe for me to just tell people what was going on in my house um, or to have them around my mom and being so embarrassed and having all of that shame and guilt um, of like, oh my gosh, she's going to yell at me in public. Like, that's so embarrassing in front of people that I know. So it's like, I'd rather just not have any friends and just be by myself. So I was like that until college, really. Wow. This is really rich. So I, you know, we're going to get into a little bit about some of the system and the methodology and uh, the perspective of it, that inner coaching takes uh, to help people create rapid breakthroughs and transformation in their lives. And, you know, I think it's great that we're starting to share a little bit of our story, our background. And it's fascinating. Every time I hear you start to share a bit of your history, uh, there's always something new that comes up because we haven't really gone into all the details, but I see so much similarity and alignment. There's such a parallel around our childhood, including the core beliefs um, that are there. So I'm, you know, I'll get into that in a moment, but I just want to highlight that, you know, what you've, what you've experienced, um, and you've named some of those experiences and then some of the beliefs that were there. This is important for us to look at when it comes to inner coaching, because what inner coaching deals with is the underlying programming, the underlying conditions that are invisible, typically unconscious and drive our every behavior, drive the way that we see the world, uh, and the way that we see the world and people around us, including the way we see ourselves, determines how we're going to act, determines what kind of results we can get or not get in our lives. And so uh, our way of helping people improve a performance or achieve success um, or, uh, you know, you know get, get at their goals, you know, that they really have been wanting or hoping for is to really dissolve the underlying conditions that are in the, that getting in the way that stop people from going after it, uh, stop people from really just being the success that they actually already authentically are. And I love that you pointed out this part of your childhood that was, you know, just naturally there, that you wanted to connect with people, you wanted to share, you were aware, you were open, you were connectable and connecting, and you wanted to just, you know, branch out. And that's a very natural expression of the life force potential that every human being carries within them and lives from as a source. And so uh, that was there, but then you also spoke to how these different beliefs started to um, form, which had you suppressing that very natural quality of life and self-expression. And so that's another important thing I wanted to point out because what we're doing through inner coaching is helping 
people to really regain and recapture uh, that quality of life experience, that joy, that aliveness, that freedom, the ability to connect, to go after what you value, what, what you dream of, you know, because kids typically when they're not severely abused or traumatized and, you know, or suppressed long enough, like they'll just, they'll just go after what they want. They see something, they go after it. They imagine things, they have fun with things. They're pretty free human, little human beings. Um, but the world can be very encroaching and very demeaning and ultimately suppressing. Um, and that causes us to feel, you know, that uh, pain and hurt and that need to suppress ourselves. And then it's repression that takes place. Now it's just so automatic, so unconscious. We don't even realize that we are suppressing some of the best possible characteristics and qualities of our being. And you pointed out a lot of that. And I'm just kind of speaking to it in a different, more observatory way so that the audience can understand some of how we work and what we look at when we're working with them. So thank you for bringing all that out. Uh, I just want to say, uh, uh, one more thing, let's get a little bit clear about you. When did you decide that uh, you wanted to really get more serious about this? You got a degree in psychology. Um, was there a point in school where this was like, you know what, I wanna learn more about human beings, human behavior and the mind. Um, when was that like the most intense for you that you just realized I gotta, I gotta understand this. I got it as a child, but then like there was a point, I think, when was that? Yeah, um, one thing I just wanna to share too is I like to use the analogy of our bodies being a house as we're you know our, our bodies are our house and as we're going through life we're picking up boxes and things and then we're putting it in our house and then they're just there and a lot of times we don't go in and clean out our house right mm, and so that's an inventory what, yeah so that's when like I love the inner coaching academy is because we get to go through you know and clear out all of mm. the old stuff and all of the old boxes that maybe you haven't looked at in a long time and you don't need anymore they're just there taking up space getting dusty and we get to just release them and then we get to be light and be our, our true authentic selves. That's great. Free of all of these boxes that we've been dragging around. Um, Very well said. Love that. Yeah, thank you. And so for me, yeah, I got my degree in psychology, went into teaching. And so it was really when I decided that um, it was funny because people were telling me I should be a life coach. And I'm like, a life coach? I didn't even know what that was. I was like, what is that? People have coaches for their life. <laughs> why? Like, I didn't understand why someone would have a life coach. Um, and so I just kind of dismissed it. Cause I'm like, oh, you're so like loving and you're so, um, you know, supportive and things like that. So anyway, so then that was, um, I found a video of this girl who was a life coach like two years after people were telling me I should be a life coach. And she explained what it was. And I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense because athletes have coaches, like top, everybody that's in like the top of their game, they have some kind of coach to help them get better. And cause we don't see our own, we don't see our own mistakes. We don't see our own things. Like we, like it's, we, it's more helpful to have an outside mirror looking in and guiding you um, and giving you tips and tools. And so I was like, oh, okay, that sounds awesome. I would love to be a life coach. And so that's when I started my training. It was really mm. a video that I watched about life coaching, what a life coach does. And I'm like, yes, because I didn't want to be a psychologist. It was just like too many years of training and too many rules and restrictions. Mm. And so I love the idea of life coaching where you're just guiding people and asking them questions and leading them into themselves and helping them reach their goals. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, so life, life coaching became like an access for actually truly serving people from what feels like the heart or your authentic self. Um, it felt more real and alive for you. Clearly I could tell by when you're talking about it, uh, but you got into psychology and you started studying psychology. Was that just because, just because like you needed to choose a major or, you know, how did you get into the psychology degree? Yeah, it was mostly because of my curiosity into why people do the things they do. Like okay. one of my favorite things to do when I was a teenager was go to Barnes and Nobles, you know, go to the bookstore with my best friend. We'd go and we'd like read books and like she would read whatever she would read. And I'd be in the personal development section, like reading all the books. And anytime I was really down, that's what I would do. Like I would go to the bookstore and read personal development books because I'm like, I'm not staying here. Like, I'm not going to choose that path. I'm not going to go into whatever misery. Like, if I'm here, I'm going to do something about it. And so, um, yeah. And so then I, I went into psychology. I, I took um, psychology, like psychology 101 or something as a freshman. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Like, I want to, this is what I want my major to be. 
Yeah, I remember studying psychology in uh, college. I think I did a little bit in high school, barely. I, I didn't make it much through high school. Um, but yeah, in college, I, I was more eager when I started college. But yeah, we'll get into that when I get into some of my stories. So, all right, this is really cool. Um, so psychology, just something you're, you're just interested in human behavior and why people do what they do from very early on, as you said. Um, that led to studying psychology, but you didn't see psychology as a path for service, really. And then someone mentioned life coaching. And that clicked for you. And that's when you decided to get certified as a life coach and start actively life coaching, which you've been doing for some time now, Uh, as well as being a yoga teacher and instructor. um, Anything else you want to add into that, that you're, that you're up to and how you're serving people now? Yeah. And I do energy work. Um, I'm, I'm very holistic in my approach. So yoga is for the body, you know, connecting mind, body, spirit, Um, the inner coaching Academy. I love what we do because we get to get into like, the belief systems and the inner workings of the mind. Um, so I love that. And then the energy work that I do, access consciousness, is for the energy bodies. And we do like energy stuff in the academy. We just don't really, we talk about the energy of the body, but it's not like energy work too. So yeah, that's what I do. Really great. Um, thank you. For that. Yeah, we do. Um, with inner coaching, you know, I like to distinguish um, what we're up to in a more, um, in, in simple terms that um, people can really readily understand no matter what walk of life they're coming from. So I've done you know, a lot of uh, work in choosing terminology that would make sense to almost anybody anywhere, regardless of their belief system, their religious preferences or choices, uh, sexual preferences or choices, it doesn't matter. My heart's commitment is, is to really serve as many people as possible who are uh, ready to take a look uh, at what's really been going on and break free. Uh, from the limits and the, the constraints inside of their mental and their emotional physiological conditioning that uh, have really just held them back and and uh, prevented them from experiencing the life that they really desire and that they really deserve. And of course, that's important to me because of my own background of suffering. And, you know, we have interesting kind of similar backgrounds, but not so similar. Like we went very different ways with it. Um, you continued your path of education and, you know, you followed through all the way to college and all of that. And uh, my background was quite different, actually. <laughs> a lot more deviant, I would say, um, uh, which, uh, you know, was painful for me, but it also proved to be extremely valuable because of what I've been able to do with that, what I've been able to learn about the human um, experience. And it's provided me an opportunity to have access to people that would never be touched if I didn't go that route, um, that I would never be able to connect with or serve, really. So, um, yeah, we'll dive into that in a moment, I think. Yeah. Is there anything else, Colette, that you need to share to wrap up some of your story there or should I just jump right into oh I'm excited for you to share your story I mean I just love your heart and that's Mm. why we're here together it's just like I've seen you serve people and I you know what you do and so I'm excited for people to hear Mm. your background thank you for that and it's been a pleasure to have you here you've been such a champion and a cheerleader of my success and everyone who's been part of our team our coaching groups our events um it's just been awesome you've brought me great people to also work with so you know thank you for being you and uh yeah i'm excited to have you here you've also been a huge champion uh, on the business side of things helping me to grow this business promote this business um brainstorm mastermind and design you know what it is we're up to so just acknowledging you for that thanking you for that which is gonna be amazing um, i'm so excited about this academy you guys (laughs) yeah um yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've rebranded. We've been teaching coaches and training coaches and leadership and using uh, what we're now calling inner coaching, which is a new rebrand. And we've created the Inner Coaching Academy to more formalize our training. And we're adding some business teaching and coaching and training elements into it, uh, which are going to really support our uh, coaching students to really be successful. Um, but that's another conversation um, for right now. Yeah, we'll just finish, um, you know, completing the part about our story, our background, why we're here. And uh, yeah, I'll just go ahead and share, you know, again, there's a lot of relationship to what you went through, Colette. Um, I grew up in, well, I mean, my parents were together till about seven or eight years old. They divorced. Um, their life was, my dad wasn't around a lot. He worked, he owned multiple restaurants. He was very busy. Um, that was part of the problem for my mother. He wasn't there often. Uh, my mother started drinking because of experiencing loneliness. And that was the way she satisfied herself and hung out with friends. And alcohol became a, a very significant crutch for her. And uh, as a child, it certainly had an impact on me. I didn't realize the impact that it was having on me. Something was off. I could tell when my mother was like falling off her bicycle when we're riding bikes, crashing into a mailbox or, um, you know, slurring and, and just kind of the, the, the state of her mind 
um, I can look back into my memories now and see like, yeah, that it was awkward, but I didn't know how to classify that. I didn't have any words for that. It was just what I knew. Now I can look back at it and see that it did leave me feeling certain um, degrees of disconnection with my mother and stuff like that. But that wasn't really how, how bad it got. It was, it was just, something was off. And, uh, and my mother would also say strange things when she was drinking like heavily. Um, Like she would just get into like these weird slurs of dark things that, you know, mean things, negative things, critical things that she was mad about or whatever. Um, But that wasn't super impacting to me to the degree uh, uh, that her later relationship was. So after she divorced my dad, we were living on our own for a few years and um, we ended up moving to a particular neighborhood where she met some guy who lived in our neighborhood. And uh, it was like these quadruplex units. And um, he lived across the street, you know, just walking distance from us. And I just remember one day being in my kitchen, coming into the kitchen, actually, and seeing this giant cowboy. He had this black cowboy hat on and he had cowboy boots and jeans and uh, like a black shirt. And he was like uh, right at the kitchen by the bar. And I'm like looking up, I'm like, hello, (laughs) you know, and that was the introduction to someone, you know, that would later become a very interesting character in my life and uh, to say the least. But uh, within a short time of him and my mother relating, uh, I found my mother one day uh, by the front door outside in the courtyard, uh, like like crumpled down uh, on the ground uh, in front of the front door, bleeding profusely, there's blood all over her clothes, all over her face. Both of her eyes were like bruised and like bloodshot like bad like there was like blood in the eye the white of the eye and her nose was flat on her face like completely smashed um and her lips were busted and there was blood coming out of her mouth and she was drunk and i was like oh my god what's going on and found out that he that guy that she was dating had done this to her now i was about 10 years old and i in that moment this is really critical and understanding this is what helps me understand what affects people of all walks of life, no matter what's happened to them, there are always these incidents, these moments where we make powerful decisions that affect who we are to ourselves and what the world is and what other people are to us and will be and how we're going to view the world and ourselves and other people for the rest of our lives and the strategies that we're going to develop to survive this perception that we formed. Um, And so it shapes our behavior drastically. But in that moment, I felt anger And I wanted to defend my mother, but I also knew how small I was and I felt weak and powerless, like I couldn't really do anything that he could hurt me if I tried to hurt him. I wanted to hurt him. That anger was there. I suppressed that anger and then I felt guilty in that moment. I remember feeling guilty and ashamed because some part of me, for whatever reason, I think I was comparing myself to my real dad, who was a tough guy, you know, strong guy. And I felt like I couldn't be like that. And so all of a sudden this strong comparison was made and I'm like, I'm too small. I'm too weak. I can't do anything. And, you know, then I judged myself as a coward. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm scared. I'm not, I'm not acting. I'm not doing anything to help my mom right now. And I was like, it just all happened so fast. And I didn't realize it in the moment, but then because of years of doing inner coaching and exploratory work within myself, I found out that I really um, felt so ashamed. And then I wanted to hide the shame. And uh, that carried with me into middle school where, um, you know, I felt so ashamed. I wanted to hide that shame, but trying to hold that in, I felt, and I was just shattered by the experience. I didn't feel safe at home. I was confused. Um, You know, I was scared for my mom all the time now, every day. Um, And so my mind, I just couldn't even think straight. And I was having difficulty just being present in school. Um, And I started to get bullied. And and I look at that as like, I was just magnetically attractive to abuse at that point because I had already had so much self-shame and, and self-hatred. I was angry at myself for not doing anything and I just didn't know what to do about all that. And it was reflected in how people were relating to me and this abuse that was coming to me through bullying. And I got sick of that. And I got invited to join a gang one day through my neighbor, who's a friend of mine. He got involved. He got initiated. He got beat up really bad. And I saw him. And I was like, what the hell happened? And he's like, dude, I just got initiated into this gang, you know? And like, I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you want to join? It's like, I'll tell him you can get in. And I'm like, what, what, why would I want to do that? And he explained like, I was like, they're the toughest kids in school. Da, 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 da. I'm like, oh yeah, I want that. Cause I was feeling so threatened. So uh, we set up an initiation last day of school, seventh grade. I was terrified, but I'm like, just, this is going to be my way out. This is going to be my way into power. And um, I remember going out after school. I didn't know who was going to be out there. 
kids started to show up that were involved with this gang at the time. And I'm like, oh man, I got to go fight whoever. And ended up being five kids. I, um, we walked out under a tree by this canal. And uh, I just remember I put the smallest kid behind my back who was my size. Everyone else was bigger. And he just said, let's dance and threw a punch at me from behind. I dodged that punch. And the next thing I know, I was getting hit from all angles. I mean, I just took a beating that day, got kicked in my face. I had shoe prints all over my body. But I remember when I got up and then, you know, the leader of the gang, he hugged me and welcomed me in. And uh, I just felt a surge of power and a surge of like strength. Like I overcame some kind of fear. I was afraid of, of that kind of fight. I've been in fights before, but this was like five on one and I was terrified and it changed me. And it actually worked as a strategy. But of course, I got involved with drugs afterwards and violence, a lot more fighting, gang fights and stuff like that was part of what we were up to at that time. And then the business of crime and drug dealing started to open up for me. And that led to years of me, you know, pursuing that life, doing all kinds of things from robbing people at gunpoint, credit card fraud, I was counterfeiting money, um, uh, illegal gambling, uh, all kinds of runouts of stores, uh, just robbing stores, just going in, filling up baskets, running out, taking whatever we could, all kinds of merchandise. And uh, it was just this whole lifestyle. And it was a way for me looking back to just escape the pain that I was feeling inside. And um, the drugs started to hit me really heavy when I started hanging out with a certain group of people. And uh, they were using super heavy. I remember going into this apartment and using drugs uh, with them like I never have before. I didn't leave that apartment for a few days. Um, just kept getting high day after day. And um, that became a habit. <clears throat> Three to four days doing cocaine, ecstasy, LSD, smoking weed, smoking whatever, um, popping pills, doing other drugs like ketamine, and, um, and just going as long as I could until my body couldn't take it anymore. And uh, once I got into that habit, it was not long after that, that, you know, my body was eventually going to shut down and I almost overdosed. Oh, I almost died from an overdose in 1999. So that was really the turning point for me in 99. That's when I realized I can't do this anymore. I need to uh, turn my life around. And so I did. I made a decision that I'm going to stop hanging out with those people, stop selling drugs, stop using drugs. Um, uh, it took me a bit to get off of uh, everything, um, but not associating with people made it easier and uh, just being with myself. And I started going to the library, started doing research on anything that could help me. Self-help became really important to me at that point. I'm 21 years old spent a lot of time in nature, found Zen Buddhism in a book, learned about the practice, started getting everything I could on Zen Buddhism, started practicing that meditative practice of just sitting quietly, doing nothing but watching the breath, being with my body, being with my being, getting off the drugs and alcohol. And I started to get aware. And that's when the memory started to surface. I started to remember the abuse that my mother went through, that I witnessed, the fear that I had and all that. And I started to just convulse. My body just couldn't. It was like all that suppressed emotion and pain and memory just that never was processed, never was witnessed, never got shared even, uh, was all coming forth. And I was just crying it out. And like, I mean, it was just awful how I felt in that moment. And I had no guidance, no nothing. I'm, you know, I went through very strange emotions, like all that pain and hurt, but also the guilt and the shame. Um, and that led me to almost want to kill myself in that space because I didn't have really any support. I'm lucky I survived. I had a knife to my throat one day, ready to just cut my jugular and something in me just broke and just decided to stop. And just, I crumpled down and cried even harder. And um, I started to get relief. And that began my journey into this world of, you know, processing trauma, um, getting honest about what was really there, the deeper stuff that was suppressed. I noticed my family, I could see they had tons of this there but they weren't addressing it now that I had addressed a lot of mine. So it started to create this disparity. And I was like, Oh man, I felt, I felt like I didn't belong. Like I didn't know how to, and I tried to connect them with that and they didn't want it. And that was real challenging. But then people started showing up who were hungry to, to get answers to their problems. People who were on drugs and needing help, just opening up to me, like blind um, friend, old friends that I'd bump into or new people like a neighbor was, I remember one of the first times I opened up, you know, his crack problem and his masturbation problem and his porn addiction. Um, and literally the first time I met him and this just started happening more and more different people coming into my life. I started going to different groups to explore, you know, what was possible spiritually and, uh, people were just sharing and I learned how to share and the power of getting open and honest and real and raw with whatever was going on internally. And that was just fascinating. I grew so quickly. I transformed so rapidly 
coming from where I was, it just shouldn't happen. In less than a year, I was radically transformed. And then I had a powerful spiritual awakening that really catalyzed everything where I recognized that God was the source of all life in me and everyone. And that was like, that was it. That just sealed the deal for me. Then I just wanted to know how I could help other people connect to that. And it's been over 20 years of me just studying everything I can, all forms of therapy, all that I can get around psychology, human behavior and high performance and doing all the trainings, doing all the coaching practices, having coaches, having healers, whatever it is, exploring everything to get a sense of what's going to make the difference for me and for others in the fastest and best way possible. So that's my journey into this moment. That's why I'm here today. The pain that I went through, the pain that I've been able to break through, it just moves me and it drives me to want to give people that same opportunity, that same access, and nothing thrills me more. It's I tell people in the recovery centers that I've worked at that I never stop getting high. I still get high all the time. And the way I get high is through service or through the breath work and the various practices or the energy practices that I do that just an exercise and fitness and health. Like I still love to get high. I just get high on things that don't have negative uh, side effects uh, on my life. They actually have positive side effects and serving people is one of the best ways to get high for me. When I see another person heal, get in touch with their pain, release that pain, transform their life, their relationship. Um, it just brings so much good feeling into my being. So it's, a, I would consider that a healthy addiction. I'm addicted to it. I love humanity. I love seeing people get free. And uh, that's where I'm at today. Wow. Oh, wow. You just shared like so much. Thank you um, for just being so open. I mean, with everything, I mean, who, like how many people want to admit, like admit, but like, share about all of this past like like basically illegal activity right most people want to hide and, and and contract and like pretend it never happened and yet you're able to share it so freely and and I just admire that about you and one thing that really stood out for me was um like the pain like it wasn't easy for you to turn your life around I mean that was like hard you know, and I think that's what stops a lot of people is like that gets uncomfortable. So then they retreat because they don't know how long it's going to last. It's like, oh my gosh, am I going to be in this like dark place forever? Right. Cause you're, you're like, I don't know who I am. It's almost like, like, you know, you have to do something, but then all these memories are coming up and you just handled them by yourself. But for a lot of people, like they don't want to have the memories, right? So like, I felt like I right? had no choice. I had no other life. Like most right. people, their lives weren't aren't as broken as mine was at the time. So I didn't trust I didn't trust anything about my old life. I had no support system because everything about me was unreliable. So so I didn't really have anything to turn to, and covering it up was not an option. And in a way, that was fortunate for me. But in another way, what was unfortunate was that I didn't have guidance. I didn't have the tools that I now have. I didn't have the support that I now have or that I give people that make it so much easier, so less, so much less, you know, difficult. I mean, it doesn't even have to be painful now for a lot, a lot of the things that we do for people. They can just move through trauma like it was, you know, like it's nothing. They can release it like it's no big deal. They don't have to feel all that, that emotion coming up, all that pain. All that. I didn't know any better. I had nothing. It just, that's what was there. If I had somebody like myself with me then supporting me through the process, man, it would have been so much different, so much smoother, but I just had no choice. There was really nothing else. I just couldn't avoid what was coming up because I didn't know where else to turn. I'm like, this is what there is. And this is what there is to be with. And I just went through it all, you know? And I think that's what drives me today to do what I do is because I'm like, man, that was messy. And it was dangerous because I barely survived it. There were times, like I said, more than once that I wanted to take my life because it was so uncomfortable. And I just kind of sat through it. And I eventually did get certain types of support, but a lot of times I didn't have that. And now with what we do, fortunately, it's so much easier. We set people up. We help people connect to their authentic self right away, even before we do any of the work. So there's like a ground. I didn't really have that fully yet at times. So I was like still uncertain about who I was really. And, you know, my, my spiritual nature and that I'm alive and, and the center of me is innocent and true. I didn't know all of that um, for a lot of the time. So it was like, when I fell, I fell hard. Um, and I didn't really have anywhere to get to. I mean, I just turned against myself. I used to beat myself, like I punching myself in the face, slapping myself so angry at why I did what I did. I was getting a conscience, feeling guilty for serving drugs, robbing people, abusing people violently. 
And just, I started to feel that pain. It was like, it all just came to me and I started to sense all the things that I was numb to. And so it was so overwhelming. And, um, right. it was and scary. that's the thing. Cause I feel like a lot of people, they just regress, right? Like even when they want to get off the drugs, even like, cause you, you almost died. Right. Yeah. Like that happens, but some, for some people that happens multiple times. Right. Cause they're like, I had okay. one person who had 15 overdoses and he yeah. was only in his tw- early twenties. Right. So some people don't. Right. And so that's, I guess my question is like for those people where it's starting to get overwhelming and they don't know who to trust. Right. Like, cause that's the kind of the turning well, point. Humanity typically as a whole is not a safe space to turn to. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that that's everybody, but in general, we're not, we're not trained and conditioned or we don't learn, uh, to open up to people and, or how to receive people who open up to us. Even, um, most of us are so unfamiliar with the inner mental and emotional territory. And we're afraid of emotions like shame and guilt and fear. We try to change people. We try to fix people. We try to make them feel better. And this never works. It just, it's just a way of suppressing further what's there. So I think most people, by the time they reach their teenage years, even they kind of know already that most people don't know how to be with what they have there. So they just start to give up even any hope that somebody's going to understand what's going on. And so they don't even try to understand anymore. So suppression becomes a really, you know, regular habit. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why um, I just want to make that distinction. Cause to me, that's amazing. Like one of like, I mean, there's a lot of amazing things about you, but like the one, one of the things that's just amazing to me is that you didn't let it stop you. Like you never like went back to the drugs, like after, right? Like so many people do. Like you were able to just like find someone to trust to help you after a while, but it took a while to get there, right? Like you've had to yeah, do some- I did start building relationships. I had yeah. a, I was forced to do a, um, a drug rehab program because I had caught two felonies for the first time with drug charges as an adult uh, in 98. And um, I didn't take it seriously. I overdosed in 99. I was using the whole time I was in the drug rehabilitation program and I was doing, you know, P tests and everything and finding ways to uh, evade, you know, getting caught and, uh, but it caught up with me. And, um, but they reordered me back to the same program. So for another six months, I was already almost done with the other one. So I did this program for real this time. And I started to build connection. I started to share more in the groups. That was like a really early beginning for me. And uh, talking to people and um, just getting honest about the things that I was struggling with, that I had been dealing with, uh, opening up about the abuse in my home, um, that started to make the difference, you know, because it's all that stuff that's hidden that I wasn't talking about that I was ignoring, you know, and not just ignoring, but I was actively suppressing by my lifestyle, by my drug use, uh, by my habits, my way of being, everything about me was. Uh, literally, it was a job of suppression, a Mm full-time job of suppressing. And a lot of people, though they don't have the the same background as I do with this intensity of violence, whatever, even even people who have relatively decent upbringings don't even realize that there's a lot of their day-to-day activity that is really them operating as as in a job of active suppression, avoidance, uh, self-denial, um, inauthenticity, pretending, um, they don't even know that that's what's going on um, because it's such a thing that's so common for people to do this. And pe- some people do it in very quote unquote elegant ways or acceptable ways, ways that even seem normal, that we don't even realize that there are masks that people are wearing. These are strategies people are operating uh, to avoid being vulnerable, to avoid um, the pain that they feel inside to not have anybody step into the core wounds that are there and not even have their own awareness touch upon the core wounds that are unresolved inside of them. So, you know, obviously, as you know, Colette, with the work that we do, we help people that are even successful, you know, in various ways, get in touch with things they didn't realize were there that are preventing them from going to another level. So it's not about, oh, well, you had a bad childhood, you need inner coaching. It's like, I don't care what level of of life you perceive yourself to be at, there's another level for you. And um, by dealing with the inner workings and clearing uh, what could be there that you haven't really seen yet and had access to, a new level of success is available for anybody, whether it's relationships, business, it's health, it's whatever. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because your experience of, you know, taking on this belief that there's someone bigger and more powerful than you, um, who's like better um, somehow, and now you're small and weak. Mm. I think that can relate in a lot of ways, you know, because what like people have like amazing parents, right? And then there's no way they're going to be able to live up to the expectations of these amazing parents. So, I mean, that belief can, even if like, you know, they had everything, they were given everything. It's like, even if their parents were great and loving, it's like, we still are able to take on these beliefs. So I love that you talked about that. And, and I mean, there's just so many ways, even like one, a few, like a traumatic experience, even if you had a great upbringing, but then something happened. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of things that can happen for people. I think you're bringing something up that's trust. Uh, yeah, they the do. And, and that's, you know, it always, you know, we, we go back to this childhood experience and that's where, um, you know, doing work with parents and teens is really important to me. Um, and I know you think it's really important for us to be doing this in the world because, you know, the teenage years are critical. Um, you know, early years are even critical too, but the teenage years, a lot of parents find they start losing control of their children or their children start really talking back and um, bigger conflicts. Um, children start becoming really disobedient and doing things that are shady and start avoiding their parents. And, um, you know, what I found because of my own experience and the challenges I had with my parents growing up and and because I've gotten honest with myself about what was there, I understand the pain my parents were going through, and I've taken time to connect with them on that, to process with them around that, to get vulnerable with them, to have them get vulnerable with me. You know, I've done these deeper, um, richer communications. Um, it's given me a tremendous understanding on how to help parents and teenagers or even their children just get back into communication with one another. A lot of parents are so busy today, and they do not understand the principles of performance, the science of human behavior. Um, they just go with what they know. Uh, they mostly end up trying to, you know, control or dictate their child's life um, to very in varying degrees, right? Without realizing it. Um, and um, there's things that happen. There's there's painful things that happen for the child, whether the parent thinks so or not. And the parents can end up dismissing that because they don't real, you know, they're they've matured past it or they've handled their own something or they don't think it's a big deal. But there's impacts that the child is consistently facing in relationship to the parent that are affecting that child's perception of the uh, parent and of themselves and of the world. And so what I was, uh, what I constantly sharing with parents is it doesn't really matter what you think. If you want to get into relationship with your children, you got to understand what's going on in their inner world. And so inner coaching gives the children access to it because sometimes they're not even aware because they've numbed out to it for so long or they don't feel like they can be heard in any way, shape or form. Maybe they've tried to communicate. They're not the best communicators yet. They're still really young. So they lack certain linguistic skills and abilities. Um, But what parents can do is start to apply inner coaching principles to get into communication with their children. And that's what I wanted most. I remember when I was really getting high a lot and I knew something was wrong, I knew I needed to stop doing what it's doing, but I was like, how can I stop this? I make so much money doing so much little of anything that how could I go get a job now? How could I live this life? But my body's killing me. I'm dying inside. When I was coming down after days of cocaine use, it was so painful. And I was like, I want to go home. I was afraid to go home. I'm like, how am I going to talk to my dad? He's going to beat the crap out of me. I didn't feel safe opening up to him because he's so authoritarian and dominating and strong and tough. And so like, I just like, uh, you know, I felt trapped. Um, but one day I opened up to my dad. I called him and said, dad, I got to go home. I got to come home. Um, and I just broke down crying. And I found out that my dad had humbled himself earlier prior to that call. Um, my uncle Tony, his uncle Tony, he's also called my uncle Tony, uh, something became this radical, like, like born again Christian. And he started like praying and writing letters to the family. And I didn't know this at the time, but this guy, my uncle Tony, my dad's uncle Tony, was like really bringing this like energy of like love and forgiveness into my family because of his strong beliefs about Jesus Christ. He's a born again Christian. Right. And that was really affecting my dad. And I didn't know this, but my dad later told me that he got the letter from his uncle and he decided to get on his knees. My father got on his knees and prayed for me and just said, he prayed, God, please bring my son back home. And, uh, so cute. And I remember that I called my dad that day and I broke down to my dad and I never would have done that. And I really believe with all my heart, like it wouldn't have happened if my dad didn't 
pray that prayer. I think something changed in my dad's heart. And I don't, it doesn't have to be a religious thing. I think if any parent's just like, man, I just really, I love my child and whatever I got to do, I want my child back. I just think like that simple act of saying, you know what, like, it doesn't matter what's wrong, what's right. I just want my child home. And I think because my dad softened his heart in that way, it created an opening that I felt somehow unconsciously. And, um, and I was able to go back home. And I didn't, again, I didn't know any of this until years later. And after talking with my dad and getting more intimate in conversation with him about everything, he told me all this. And I was like, it makes perfect sense now. I was like, wow. Cause I'm like, I was always terrified of my dad until that one day I just felt my heart was like, you know, I was high as hell. I was, I just ate some LSD and I'd already been up for two days doing cocaine and drinking and smoking Coke and everything else. And uh, suddenly I popped some acid and then I got this like sense of like sadness and longing to go call my dad. And it's just like these little things, these little changes of the heart can make a huge difference. That's what we help parents do. Um, Plus the children need support validating their experience a lot of times parents don't know how to do that because they're so busy actively suppressing their own stuff because they got to build a home, make money, pay for school, pay for food. And like, so they don't have time to address the inner world. So they can't support the child in addressing the inner world. And it's no fault of their own. It doesn't make the parent wrong or bad. It just leaves the child with this sense of hopelessness that nothing is going to be heard, seen, felt, received, that their inner world just can't be accessed. And they, they just need someone to listen in deeply. And that's another big part of what we do. So um, part of what I wanted to share here in this intro podcast and video podcast was that, you know, inner coaching has certain ways of serving people and uh, parents and teens is one way. Yeah. And um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like what we do and like ways to like, if people are struggling with these things, with the addiction and with like disconnecting from their teens or even their partners, you know, cause it can also like these things can cause problems in relationships with partnerships um, or maybe like overeating. I mean, there's just so many ways yeah. that these things happen. Do you want to just share some ways that they can, you know, work with us? Yeah. I'll a little bit about what we do um, and all that. So yeah, we work in like the areas of relationship, addiction, um, uh, trauma, uh, people's health and well-being, um, uh, business. Uh, there are business teams that have breakdowns of communication that need support there. Um, inner coaching is valuable and useful inside of any, almost any dimension of life, uh, almost any kind of relationship um, because of the, the approach that it takes. It deals with the root causes. We're, we're looking for the underlying inner mental and emotional convictions, these, these deep-rooted beliefs um, that are, are not the first cause, they're secondary. The first cause is the core wound. And because people don't realize that pain is what drives them to develop these belief systems and perpetuate the belief system, because now I need to survive and avoid this pain. Um, there's this like inability to make changes effectively in whatever area it is. Parents won't make a change uh, because they haven't dealt with their own core wounds. They don't realize the beliefs that are running them. Um, people operate that they are, that they are, whatever they are. Um, they typically don't think something about me could be causing uh, a breakdown here. Something about me is not working. Something about me uh, is not allowing me access to my child. Something about me is not allow- allowing me access to my boss to have a conversation for a raise. Somebody's not allowing me to access uh, the team that I manage. Uh, there seems to be a disconnect. And like, they just cannot see or understand what's in the way. Inner coaching actually provides that full-blown view into everything going on within you that empowers you to release whatever's preventing you from being effective in whatever area of life you're looking at. So if it's addiction, addiction is not the problem. Addiction is the side effect. It is the symptom. It is a result of deeper causes right? I've worked with addicts for many years, beginning with myself when I finally got honest with myself about why I was addicted. In the first place, it wasn't the drugs that were so compelling. The drugs are compelling only because they were helping me avoid something that I severely and desperately needed to avoid uh, because I had no way to deal with it. Um, So what I've been helping addicts do for years is deal with that core wound, the, the pain at the bottom of it all, and to restore a sense of love and dignity And because that's my direct approach, I have been so effective. I'll go in in one session in a room of one hour with a group of 
addicts, anywhere from five to, you know, up to 25 of them, plus mental health patients, sometimes up to 50 people in a room. And within that hour and within minutes, actually just have their attention, have them already feeling a sense of hope and possibility that hasn't been present yet. They've been in the center for anywhere from days to weeks, some of them months. They've been working with therapists, they've been doing all that, and nothing has really shifted for them because I'm coming in there and I'm not looking at them like they're a problem and I'm letting them know that. And I'm actually telling them they're not a problem and their addiction is not the problem. And that whatever has happened and whatever they have done does not define who and what they truly are. And I would lead my opening message with something like that and variations of that and immediately have that room hooked. And because I know myself, I know who I am inside. I am not defined. And that's why you mentioned like, oh my God, you talk about all these things you did. It's like, because I'm not defined by that. It's, it's what happened through my body. It's what happened uh, as a result of my unconsciousness, as a result of the pain. And I have compassion for the drug dealer that I was. I have compassion now for the guy who was abusing people and using violence to pretend that I was tougher and stronger. So I didn't have to feel the weakness inside. I have compassion for that. I'm real about it. And I help people get to that place too. It's like, look, you did what you did, but that doesn't define you because there were deeper things running. What people forgot uh, in those centers and what they forget today, even if they're not dealing with addiction, is that they began like you said, like you were happy. You wanted to talk to people. You were good. We begin in innocence. We begin in freedom. We begin in life alive. Like it, it's just fountaining. And then it's actively suppressed. Like my teacher once said, Everyone in the classroom here starts with an A. All you got to do is keep it. And I think people forget where they come from and they start to identify with, I don't think this, I see it. I know it. I know it for myself. They identify with the problems, the pain, what happens to them in childhood, then the choices they made. And then there's the guilt that they feel around all that. And so they're so fixated on all of that, that it's impossible to really break free. They don't either want to deal with it because they just feel ashamed. I don't want to address the things that I've done or that have been done to me because this identity is all revolved around that. I help people break that identification right away in many different ways, but like that's really the target initially is like help them realize they are not that. And once they get that grounded in their core, then there's the safety to start addressing the real issues. And that's why therapists were like fascinated by what I was doing in those centers is because they were like, wow, like, suddenly all the clients and the patients are opening up to us. Like, what did you do? And I would explain to them. And then they started sitting in on the room with me to watch how I started my conversations and it freed them. They didn't want to talk about anything because they were expecting to be shamed, expecting to be judged, expecting to be analyzed, expecting to be diagnosed, expecting to be prescribed medication. And believe it or not, a lot of those people in those addiction centers, they didn't want the medication. They want to get off the drugs. Some of them, some of them are in there because they want to get the medication. Um, but, but a lot of them weren't. And they knew better, but you know that's a lot of you know what's possible because we're dealing with the inner workings. That's why we call it inner coaching. Uh, of course, we help people succeed out there. It's it's all about creating results in your relationships. It's all about creating results in your world. It's all about creating results with your children or whatever situation in life, your health. Um, but we just we don't go to creating actions and accountability and just change your behavior. Um, you can't just change your behavior so readily, so easily, because the behavior is governed by your perceptions, which are the unconscious conditions of mind and emotion. And if you're not in touch with that, those behaviors are going to be established pretty firmly. And that's why a lot of people fail, make New Year's resolutions. I'm going to do this thing. Yeah, sure you are. But underlying conditions have not changed. So inner coaching addresses all of that. I'll just wrap that up in a little bow and say, you know, I'm happy to get into this world with people. Yeah. And just some of the things, some of the ways to work with us is the one-on-one, -on -one, right? Yeah. Um, but mainly what we like to do is core encounter groups, like group work. Yes. And then um, and weekend events, we'll have some weekend events coming up soon. We're really excited about. Yes. And then our inner coaching academy, of course, if you want to get trained in this work, we're really excited to um, the opening enrollment for the academy for coaches that want to, you know, further their practice and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got a lot of exciting things coming up. Do you want to add anything? Yeah, just ways to contact us. So, you know, as I was sharing on another podcast earlier today, uh, if you're interested in exploring what inner coaching can do for you and just exploring it, there's no obligation and there's no cost explorer. Um, you can send an email to me at vince at innercoachingacademy.com. 
or you can call 781-436-2877 or send a text message. That's the fastest way to get in touch with me like directly. And I think that's best to just kind of share with me, like, obviously you heard this, you heard something uh, that, that connected with you and you're looking to see if there's ways that what we do can help you. So I would just, you know, share that with me. Let me know what you think, uh, you're, you know, we can help you with what you want to learn more about. We'll start a little conversation. If it seems right to create a uh, discovery and connection call, we'll just get connected. We'll explore each other. Uh, you'll get to know a little bit more about me. Uh, you'll tell me about your situation. I'll share with you some, some of what I see we can do to make a difference. If it resonates, we can create a coaching agreement and uh, move forward from there. And you'll learn all about that. Uh, but there's no obligation. There's no pressure. It's just very natural. Everything's led from the heart with me or Colette. We both just love to serve. And uh, yeah, it has to come from a place of love and connection. So if that's where uh, we're vibing together, uh, when we have our conversation and you want to move forward, we will. And if not, it's totally cool. I promise you it's going to be fun for both of us. I love connecting with people. So does Colette. We're social butterflies. Um, so nothing to fear here. And, you know, we bring a great sensitivity and confidentiality to everything that you have going on in your world. So we can, you know, make sure that you feel safe and comfortable. Uh, we provide a very safe, sacred and surrendered setting for our conversations with you. So uh, everything there, it'll just be a very refreshing experience for you. So again, sending an email to Vince at innercoachingacademy.com or calling 781-436-2877 or sending a text to 781-436-2877, whatever you feel comfortable with, uh, we can start a conversation and go from there. Awesome. And then just to mention, you have a free, um, a free course right now that they can grab as well, the inner, the inner inner work accelerator challenge. Yeah. Just released that recently. Thank you for reminding me. Um, that's a great way to get introduced to, um, inner coaching. Uh, so it's a five day, uh, challenge that isn't very challenging at all, uh, called the inner work accelerator challenge. And you can, uh, get that through the website. I think innercoachingacademy.com will have a little button where you can uh, get started with that, uh, or courses.innercoachingacademy.com is where it's located and you can register for free. That will give you some really powerful uh, training and processing. It get, goes a little bit more in depth about uh, what our process is and what I've developed that's really potent and effective and just gets right to the heart of the matter. Um, you can learn some of that and then be guided in my processes each day, uh, see how that fits for you. But we do have events coming up. The Core Encounter weekends are going to be spectacular. Uh, they're going to have a totally revised and new version of it. I've been leading those since 2013. Um, that's going to be really awesome and inexpensive way for you to join uh, with us and other people that are seeking to apply inner coaching to whatever situation in life. And uh, you'll be able to create radical transformation for yourself. If you're interested in inner coaching as a career path, uh, we are creating licensed coaches who can utilize our tools, our distinctions, uh, get support, uh, business growth training and support tools uh, for managing uh, prospects and clients. Uh, we have like a whole business in a box to go along with our coach training so that it isn't just information or, you know, something that you're studying online and you're going to have all this knowledge. You're going to get plenty of opportunity to practice applying it, working with real people, uh, getting um, positive, supportive feedback to help enhance your skill sets and your abilities to make sure that you know that you got something really great. Uh, and that you can make a powerful difference with people. Plus, you'll have feedback and actual real reviews on your business pages that you'll set up inside of the academy because you'll be working with tons of people here, in here, and also in the world because uh, we'll be coaching you into that the whole time. So it's really building your entire business. Uh, and you can operate as a completely independent coach. And you have the opportunity to partner with us and earn money through working with our events and leading our groups if that's something you choose to do. So yeah, we're that's something we're really thrilled to be doing. And we love seeing other coaches out there in the world sharing this work. It's so powerful. It's so effective. And uh, it's just so inviting. And I think it's really unique the way that we do what we do. Uh, we're not pushing people into success. We're inviting people to really access the truth of who they are. I think that's what's ultimately there. And uh, that leads to all kinds of success everywhere. So yeah, thanks, Colette. Yep. I'm just really excited about everything that we're doing. And if any of this resonated with you, like our stories, um, just know that we are a safe space to come and join and share and be with and be loved and held and supported and all of it. 
So. Yeah. You know, another point is they could also reach out to us on Facebook. Um, send us a message there or Instagram. Um, you can find us anywhere on social media and uh, just look up our names. You'll, you'll find us and you'll, you'll be able to get in touch with us. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, any questions that you have or any topics that you'd like us to speak about, we would love to hear that too. So if you have, if you're watching this in video format, your comments will help us. Let us know, you know, what you want to know, like, what do you need support in? Uh, we'll create different podcasts, video and audio format um, that will give tips, how to's uh, in whatever situation. So the more we get from you, the more live these are going to be. We want to really uh, speak to your situation and make sure that every podcast that we're creating is relevant and really makes a difference right away. So we're happy to share this with you. Thank you for being here with us. And we look forward to connecting with you. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you know anyone who would like this podcast, please share it yes. and subscribe and we will see you next time. See you next time.